Jesus, the master storyteller, told many parables, simple stories that reveal kingdom truths through the characters and the situations. Today's parable is about a father and his two sons. One said yes to his father, but the other said no. Which do you identify with? Which describes your relationship with Father God and King Jesus? Two sons. Let's find out. Shalom, this is Hansen from Archippus Awakening, a ministry dedicated to the awakening of the saints to know and fulfill our God-given kingdom assignments. And this is what Kingdom 101 is about. We revisit kingdom fundamentals to know Jesus as our King, to embrace His kingdom that we may receive and move on kingdom assignments according to His kingdom ways. Will you join me for a word of prayer? Heavenly Father, we thank you for scriptures that guide us. Lord Jesus, be glorified as we declare your name. Holy Spirit, teach us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We have come to the section where Jesus shares three parables, one after another. Clearly, all three parables are related, making a collective point. That said, each has its own emphasis. Matthew chapter 21, verses 28 to 32, the parable of the two sons, it's about rejection of instruction. Matthew chapter 21, verses 33 to 46, the parable of the wicked vine dresses, a rejection of inspection. And then Matthew chapter 22, verses 1 to 14, the parable of the wedding feast, which is a rejection of invitation. These parables all warn against the consequence of rejecting God's authority, Jesus' authority. We will explore the parable of the two sons in this teaching and then the other two in subsequent sessions. Let's read Matthew chapter 21, verses 28 to 32. But what do you think? A man had two sons, and he came to the first and said, Son, go. Work today in my vineyard. He answered and said, I will not. But afterward he regretted it and went. Then he came to the second and said, Likewise. And he answered and said, I go, sir. But he did not go. Which of the two did the will of his father? They said to him, The first. Jesus said to them, Assuredly, I say to you that tax collectors and harlots enter the kingdom of God before you. For John came to you in the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But tax collectors and harlots believed him, and when you saw it, you did not afterward relent and believe him. If you are a parent, you will find the parable of the two sons very real and totally relatable. Most likely, you have experienced it before in your very own household, more than a few times. I know I have, not just as a parent, but also as a son. But Jesus was not teaching at a parenting seminar or a family conference. To understand and interpret the parable and parables correctly, we must consider the setting carefully. So let's begin by asking a few questions. Where was Jesus? Jesus was in the temple. He entered Jerusalem on Sunday, did the temple cleansing on a Monday, and was back in the temple on Tuesday. 
and teaching once more about the kingdom of God. What was the setting? From Matthew 21, verses 23 to 27 in our past teaching, we understand that Jesus was engaged right in the middle of a confrontation with members of the Sanhedrin, the highest council or the highest authority of Israel. What prompted the telling of the parable? The leaders had questioned Jesus' authority. Now, this would provide the entire backdrop. When challenged by Jesus in return about John the Baptist's ministry and authority, they acted blur and they refused to answer the question. Jesus provides the answer to his own question by way of this parable and later on two more. What is the point of the parable? Well, this is revealed in the question that Jesus asked. Which of the two did the will of his father? And they said to him, the first. So we see it's about obedience. But it's also revealed in his own explanation in Matthew chapter 21, verses 31 to 32. And Jesus said to them, Assuredly, I say to you, tax collectors and harlots enter the kingdom of God before you. For John came to you in the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But tax collectors and harlots believed him. And when you saw it, you did not afterward relent and believe him. Oh, so it's about believing. So which is it? Is it about obedience or is it about believing? Well, simply the answer is yes. The parable of the two sons is very simple and straightforward. I believe Jesus intended it to be exactly that. That said, the point of the parable is also very surprising and extremely shocking. Well, let's explore. Firstly, it's about authority. And against this context, we then understand the place of believing and of obedience. Well, specifically, it's about obeying and carrying out the instructions of the one in authority, the Father's will. And that is why Jesus asked so clearly and precisely, which of the two did the will of his Father? Lest one thinks is all about works, the message of grace is clearly presented and emphasized. This offer by grace becomes even more pronounced when we realize that even in Jesus' warning against those who reject his authority, grace is extended. So what's the two sons? What's this parable all about? It's about authority. It's about believing. It's about obedience. It's about the Father's will. And it's about grace. It's about authority. Let's remember the backdrop. The leaders had questioned Jesus about his own authority. In Matthew chapter 21 to 23, they asked, By what authority are you doing these? And who gave you this authority? Well, Jesus answered them by asking them about John's authority. Well, we know that the leaders evade the question entirely. Jesus then established John's authority and thereby affirming his own authority. Now, how did he do this? Jesus did it indirectly, but precisely through this parable, the parable of the two sons. It's a story of father and sons, and it's easily identifiable and relatable. 
Well, clearly the Father represents God as the ultimate authority. Sons are expected to honour their father, to submit to the father's authority, and thereby to carry out his instructions. And so we see that there are two sons. The first son said, Nah, I don't think I want to obey this. But later he relented, and he did as he was told. Then there's the second son who said, Yep, yes, I'll go. But he did not carry out that promise at all. And here comes the punchline in the form of the question that Jesus asked. Who did the will of his father? Well, the leaders answered very promptly and very correctly. The first son. You must understand that at this point, the leaders may have considered themselves as this first son. After all, they were doing so much, right? Or at least they thought they were. Jesus then presents the twist. It's not you. It's the tax collectors, the harlots, the prostitutes who recognize and acknowledge John's authority. In other words, dear leaders, you are more like the second son, the one who said yes, but did nothing about it. Ouch, right? That was a huge, huge, a very big slap on their faces. Firstly, they were indicted for not believing John. And in not believing John, they were not believing Jesus. Secondly, they were indicted for being disobedient to God. Well, as leaders, they were expected to know the instructions of God or would have said yes to God's will. However, as we have discovered, they were hypocritical and they were fruitless. Well, they were very busy, full of activities, but they had nothing to show for it. So this was a blatant rejection of instruction to do the Father's will. It was disobedience at the highest level. Thirdly, they were told that they were not a part of God's kingdom. Ouch! And fourthly, even worse, others deemed less worthy than they make it to enter the kingdom of God before you or before them. And we can even understand that phrase to read as, instead of you. See, the parable is about authority. If you truly recognize and acknowledge God's authority, you must submit to that authority by obeying and carrying out the instructions of that authority. By rejecting God's instruction, you reject God's authority. And if you reject God's authority by taking things into your own hands and living as if you are your own authority, you will finally be rejected by God. Now this becomes clearer, more intense, and even more urgent through the parables. Number two, it's about believing. In explaining the point of the parable, Jesus mentions believing quite a few times. Referring to the leaders, he told them, you did not believe John, but the tax collectors and the harlots, they believed him. Now, if you would have seen that and observed that, you should have changed your mind and later believe. Well, the parable, as we have read already, is about doing. But Jesus' point was about believing. It's too easy to presume and preach that Old Testament salvation is about doing and that New Testament salvation is about believing. Well, this would be ignoring the entire context of Matthew chapter 21. Don't forget, it's about hypocrisy and fruitlessness. 
Jesus' answer about believing extends from Matthew chapter 1, verse 25, about leaders not believing John's ministry and acknowledging his authority from heaven. You see, to believe in John's authority is to repent, to turn, and to return, to live rightly, to bear fruit worthy of such repentance. However, the leaders did not believe they needed to repent. In fact, they considered themselves righteous by the law. However, they missed the entire point that they were proud, self-righteous, hypocritical, and legalistic. Also, to believe in John's authority means to believe in Jesus' authority because John pointed to Jesus. And by affirming Jesus' authority, this also confirms all that Jesus said and did in Matthew 21. The temple cleansing had full authority from God, as well as the fig tree cursing. And both of these pointed to hypocrisy and fruitlessness. This refers to a lack of doing on the leader's part, as well as useless, unproductive doing with no result. The connection between believing and doing is very clear. Yes, it is about believing. But right believing will always result in right doing. This is totally consistent with the rest of scriptures. In Luke chapter 6, verse 46, Jesus said, Now why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do the things which I say? If you want to acknowledge my authority, if you believe and you call me Lord, then it must be evidenced by you obeying and doing the things which I say because I hold that authority and I expect you to submit to that. James chapter 2, verse 20. But do you want to know, O foolish man, that faith without works is dead? The apostle James was saying, if you say you believe, something has to come out of that believing. Believing must always lead to a doing. Oh, but wait, hang on. Did not John say just believe, right? In John chapter 3, verse 16, that whoever believes in Jesus shall not perish, but have eternal life. Well, indeed, he did say that. But it was the same Apostle John who also said in 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 to 17, when he concludes that he who does the will of God abides forever. So is it just believing? Well, it is believing, but it is also doing. He who believes eternal life, he who does the will of God, abides forever. It's about believing and also about doing. Number three, it's about obedience. Just another word for doing that comes out from right believing. In the parable of the two sons, both of them responded to the father differently. One said no, and one said yes. And here we see two kinds of obedience. Firstly, we see delayed obedience. And secondly, we will explore declared obedience. Well, the first son displayed delayed obedience. He outrightly rejected the instruction first, and in that he disobeyed. 
And here we see that before delayed obedience is simply disobedience. But later he regretted, he changed his mind. We're not told why or how, but he finally went out and he obeyed. And I love this point here. Delayed obedience is still obedience. Because after all, he did what he was asked to do, albeit later. But for the second son, he displayed what I call declared obedience. Now, what's declared obedience? Well, simply declaring that you will obey, just saying yes, but not following through with it. And here we discover that declared obedience is plainly disobedience. It doesn't matter how impressively you declare obedience. As long as nothing is done, it is still disobedience. And so, delayed obedience and declared obedience. Which son am I? Am I more delayed obedience type or am I just declared obedience type? Well, here's the truth as I reflected for myself. At times, I'm, I'm like the first son, you know, that displayed delayed obedience. I wish I would be able to respond with immediate obedience all the time. That means whenever God says something, when Jesus says go, I will just do it, no question at all. But the truth is, as far as I can remember, most of my obedience is delayed obedience. Before obeying, I am either rejecting why I should do it or rationalizing why I'm not able to do it. And by the time I finally obey, it is usually delayed. And so I'm like the first son sometimes. But at other times, I'm like the second son who displayed declared obedience. See, in my enthusiasm, with all my good intentions, I tend to respond positively with a yes and amen all the time. But sadly, I find that I find it hard to follow through. I mean really well, I can assure you. But for some reason, it just stops there. I just don't follow through. Now, the scary thing is I don't even realize it. In fact, I'm quite impressed with myself for being so obedient all the time. Whatever God says, Amen. You know, whatever the message is declaring, Amen. Will I do this? Yes. Will I respond to the altar call? Definitely. And then it's left at the altar. I declare obedience, but I don't finally display that obedience. And so at times, I'm like the second son. Which son are you more like? Is it declared obedience only? Or do you move to delayed obedience? Let me remind you, declared obedience is potentially deceptive. You see, talk is cheap. It's so easy to promise, to say yes, to say amen, and to say, I will obey, but do nothing about that. Declared obedience may sound impressive, but it is very deceptive. It is still disobedience if you still do not obey. But delayed obedience, I know that doesn't sound right at all. And sometimes we get the idea that delayed obedience is disobedience. But from the parable we see that even as you delay, but as long as you obey, that is still counted as obedience. Which would you prefer? Which are you more like? Because it's about obedience. So far, we've seen that it is about authority. 
It's also about believing and it's also about obedience. Number four, it's also about the Father's will. Obedience is doing as instructed by God. But exactly obedience to what? Jesus taught us to pray in that kingdom prayer, Matthew chapter 6, verse 10. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Obedience is obedience to God's will or the Father's will. Definitely not my own will. Now, this can refer to both the general will and which leads to general obedience, as well as the specific will, as well as specific obedience. Let me explain. General obedience is when we walk according to His laws, His will, what He desires, as well as His ways, in righteousness and with love. And this is juxtaposed or opposed against lawlessness. General obedience, in a word, is kingdom living, living out the ways of the king. Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 to 23. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. So generally, we are to do the will of the Father. In other words, He gives us His ways, His laws. And as we walk according to the ways of the kingdom, we guard against the practice of lawlessness. Notice that Jesus warns those who have prophesied in His name, cast out demons. In other words, these have done a lot of ministries, a lot of churchy-type activities, but do not walk the ways of the kingdom. They have failed in general obedience, right? Because the Lord desires that we walk out that will in His ways. And I say that the more we align, the more we learn how to do that correctly and obey generally that general will and that general obedience unto the Lord, it helps posture us to understand and know specific things that the Lord wants us to do. And that leads us to specific obedience, or sometimes we ask, right, what's God's will for me? That's specific will and obedience. And it refers to specific tasks or assignments of the kingdom. And here we can learn from no one but the best in Jesus. Matthew chapter 26, verse 42. And in the garden of Gethsemane, a second time, he went away and he prayed, Oh my Father, if this cup cannot pass away from me unless I drink it, your will be done. This is Jesus going to the cross, his kingdom assignment. This was specific to him. No one else can do this on his behalf. No one else can do this on our behalf. Jesus himself had to carry through this specific obedience to a specific kingdom assignment. And so here he says, Lord, Father, your will be done. I don't relish it. Doesn't sound attractive to me, but I will do it. So we see that there's general obedience and there's specific obedience. 
And these are expected of all of us who consider ourselves God's children, sons, daughters. In John chapter 1, verse 12, he writes, But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name. And here we see again the place of believing. And according to Jesus, he says, well, you are children of God. You are sons and daughters. But I'll tell you how I will determine which are the true family, the sons and the daughters of God. And these are those who obey and do the Father's will. This we see in Matthew chapter 12, verse 50. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother, my sister, my mother. And essentially, what the Lord is saying is, don't just say, I'm a son or I'm a daughter or I'm a relation of the Father or of God. Yes, we believe into this relationship and this privilege. But the one that really is a son and a daughter will be one who serves the Father's business, who submits to the Father's authority, who obeys the Father's instruction, who does the Father's will. It's not just about believing, remember. It's also about obedience. But not just obedient to attend church and go to a cell group. And that's nice. It's a good start. It's about the Father's will. And the more we align with the heart of the Father, the more we discover the will of God and therein also discover our own specific kingdom assignment. It's about the Father's will. And finally, number five, it's about grace. Jesus referred to the tax collectors and the harlots entering the kingdom of God even before the religious leaders. This was extremely shocking and surprising, if not totally offensive. The leaders would have thought, how can this even deserve to come into the kingdom of God? And here you are excluding us. But that's the point precisely. Entering the kingdom of God is entirely by grace through faith. This cannot be about works because salvation by works is just not possible. And Paul writes this in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 to 9 to remind us, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Salvation is entirely by grace, coming into the kingdom by grace, becoming sons and daughters by grace. However, once we are sons and daughters of God, we are expected, as I've pointed out earlier, to submit to His authority, to obey and to fulfill the Father's will as evidence and genuineness of our faith. Because Paul goes on in verse 10 of Ephesians chapter 2, For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. It's about grace. The same grace that enables entry into the kingdom also enables effectiveness in the kingdom. Paul was one person who understood this so well. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 10, he declares boldly, But by the grace of God, I am what I am. 
and his grace toward me was not in vain. But I labored more abundantly than they all. Yet not I, but the grace of God, which was with me. Paul understood that the same grace that enabled his entry into the kingdom would be the same grace he must depend on and stand on that would enable him to be effective in the things of the kingdom. Embedded in this parable is grace. Grace that is displayed and extended to both sons, to both groups, whether it was delayed obedience or declared obedience. Think about that. The space between disobedience and delayed obedience is grace, right? If God would just snuff us out when we're disobedient, then there's no grace. None of us would stand. But he knows that even as we have disobeyed or even as we are contemplating obedience, he's patient, he's gracious, he's merciful. He allows that chance upon chance upon chance that until finally, however delayed, when we obey, that is still obedience and that is counted as right doing out of right believing. But what's that space in between that disobedience and that delayed obedience? It's called grace. That space is grace. Think about the second son. The space between declared obedience and finally demonstrated and displayed obedience, that's grace. You can declare all you want. I will be obedient. You do nothing about it. That's still disobedience. And God knows that. He does not snuff us out also if we do not fulfill what we have promised. But He waits for us. He's gracious. He's hanging in there to say, will you come to your senses? Will you change your mind? Will you discover and realize for yourself that you are actually disobedient until you obey? See, that space between declared obedience and finally demonstrated obedience is grace. That space is grace. And the truth is grace is still available to all of us to relent, to regret, to repent, to change our mind, to come to our senses, to live as we ought, to obey, to submit to the instructions of the authority that we declare that we are submitted to and are under. I thank God for this grace that is available. I thank God that while I'm in that space between disobedience and obedience, there is grace waiting for me. See, the leaders were compared to those that they thought were unrighteous, unholy, unworthy. The tax collectors, the harlots, the prostitutes, this is a Matthew way of saying the worst of the worst. And truly, the messages, sinners, all of us, we enter the kingdom of God by grace. But to the leaders, instead of seeing the grace that was similarly extended to them, they became upset with the grace that was extended to others. But embedded in this parable, I don't want you to miss this, that although the time was short, still the leaders had a chance to change 
their ways. And this is seen in that last phrase where Jesus says, And when you saw it, you did not afterward relent and believe him. He was hinting to them, saying to them, Hello, this is now the time for you to relent, to change your mind, to repent, to believe in John and to believe in me. Jesus was announcing grace and extending grace to the leaders. Sadly, instead of heeding, they hardened their hearts even more. And in rejecting the authority of Jesus, they rejected the grace that comes with that authority. It's about grace. Don't miss the grace in this story, in this parable, in this message. And Jesus continues to extend that grace because it is about grace. Let's conclude. The parable of the two sons is simple and straightforward. It's about authority. And against that context, we then understand the place of believing and then of obedience. Once more, specifically, it's about obeying and carrying out the instructions of the one in that authority, the Father's will. Unless you think it's all about works, the message of grace is also clearly presented and emphasized through the parable. The parable of the two sons is also surprising and shocking. In first century Israel, no Jew would ever have accepted the charge that he was not working for God, much less the religious leaders to whom this parable was directed. However, that is precisely Jesus' point and the shock value of this parable. We must be careful not to be presumptuous and be caught off guard like the religious leaders. Using each of the three characters of the parable, Craig Bloomberg sums up the three key points of the parable as follows. Like the father sending his sons to work, God commands all people to carry out his will. Like the son who ultimately disobeyed, some promise but do not perform rightly and are rejected by God. Like the son who ultimately obeyed, some rebel but later submit and so are accepted. He goes on to present an even tougher truth. Even more concise is this summary. In the kingdom, performance takes priority over promise. Now this is a hard truth to stomach because today we keep declaring that the promise is there, yes and amen, and it is. But we underplay and we undermine even God's view that performance is still required as we desire to claim that promise. And so once more, in case if you missed it, the parable of the two sons, it's about authority. It's about believing. It's about obedience. It's about the Father's will. And it's about grace. Allow me to wrap up with one final point. It's about time. If you have not yet acknowledged the authority of Jesus, it's about time you did. One day, everyone will have to account to this authority, to Jesus, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. No one can say that they don't know or give any excuse. If you have not yet believed in Jesus, it's about time you did.
Believe in Jesus as the only one who can save you into his glorious kingdom. Believe in Jesus and in that receive and submit to his authority. Believe in Jesus and out of that do what he tells you to do. If you have not yet obeyed Jesus, it's about time you did. Whether declared or delayed obedience, Obedience is never too late until it's too late. So don't wait any longer. Now, now is the time to obey. If you have not yet discovered or done the Father's will, it's about time you did. Start with general obedience. Walk in His ways and in His will. The more you align with the Father's heart, the clearer you will be about the Father's business. Be ready for specific obedience. Be faithful to fulfill your kingdom assignments. And lastly, if you have not yet responded to the grace that is extended to you, it's about time you did. This space of grace does not remain available forever. Whether to enter into the kingdom or to be effective for the kingdom, it is entirely by His grace, His grace, his grace. And don't presume upon this privilege. Don't receive this grace in vain. Instead, always be sustained and be strengthened and be empowered by His grace. It's about authority, about believing, about obedience, about the Father's will, about grace. But it's about time too. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, I thank you, Lord that you share stories that are so simple to reveal truths that we need to hear and to be responding to so desperately. And so I ask, Lord, Holy Spirit, will you guide us and help us, Lord? We thank you for the grace that is always there, Lord. It's not about us trying to do it our own strength. But the moment, Lord, we say, yes, you will enable us by that grace. You will bring us in by that grace. You will empower us by that grace. And so I pray for all listening in and all watching that we will not delay anymore, that we will not just declare obedience and not do anything, or that we will wonder, should we do or should we obey? Lord, let it be real within our hearts to say yes, Lord, and in saying yes, that we will obey and we know you will help us to do that. Let us be that son that will bring you pleasure and that bring you joy, to obey you fully, submitting to your authority. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thanks for joining me for another Kingdom 101 teaching. For past teachings, visit our website, kingdom101.archipusawakening.org. Until the next time, this is Hansen signing off. Stay awakened, aligned, and assigned. God bless you.